Well, I figured we might as well go out with a bang. <laughs> Good morning. We're so glad to have you today. And we finished finally today our series on the Ten Commandments. And it's been about 13, 14 weeks that we've been together on this topic. And next week, by the way, we begin a four-week series on the judgments of God, the four judgments that are mentioned in the Bible. I hope you'll find that interesting and also something we can apply to our lives. And I think that's what's really cool is that we have been able, I think, to really bring the Ten Commandments up into the 21st century and really apply to our lives. Now, as promised, we said we were going to give something away today. And lots of folks, or multiple times, have put their name in this jar, and we have have an awesome copy of the Ten Commandments over here, and I'm going to draw a person's name out. You have to be present to win, so I'm going to go down here and shake around like this. See, I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Here we go. Oh, wait. Wait, I've got one. I got one. I got one. I got one. Oh, pink. Pink. Let's see here. How about um, Shannon or Sharon McEnery? Sharon, you here? Did I mispronounce the name? All right. Well, like I said, you got to be present to win. Throw that one over there. All right, here we go. Let's see here. Okay. How about Laverne Clayton? Laverne, are you here? All right, you want to get it after church? All right, right on the piano. Let's give Laverne a round of applause. (laughs) All right, very good. Well, listen, today as we look at number 10, and you know it really has turned out to be a very... I think a very important message as we look at this thy shall not covet. I hope you're able to pick up the theme. How often do we look around at people's stuff and go, oh, I want that. Oh, I wish I had that. And I think God knew the importance of it. And that's why he, he put number 10 as number 10. Now, now, have you ever thought about this? What, what makes us look at someone's car? We've got a car. And look at someone's car and go, I want that car. Or, or we look at someone's house and we say, I've got a good house, but I want that house. And, and tragedy of tragedy, you, know, you look at someone's wife and you go, I want her, not the one I got. I mean, what, what causes that? Well, maybe not with a wife, but maybe so, maybe so is this thing called advertising. Did you know that globally, now listen to this, globally, if I'm off on the numbers a little bit because I'm going to try to do it from memory, Globally, businesses spend $545 billion. $545 billion on advertising. In America alone, in America alone, businesses spend $180 billion. Every single year, convincing you that you need something other than what you've got or you need to get something new. You know, if you're, in case you're not feeling valuable today, you know, in case the cross doesn't make you feel valuable enough, did you know American businesses care enough to spend $565 a year on you? Every man, every woman, and every child, $565 a year just on convincing you that you need something besides what you've got. Amazingly, in China, they only spend $37 a person. See, America, we're just so, so centric on, you know, I want something new, I want something more. Now, I know you can't get your arms around $565 billion. You probably can't get your arms around $180 billion. So let me kind of help you, okay? You know, you, you may have heard this. I'm going to put a little bit different spin on it. 
But let's say you wanted to count to a billion. You want to see how much is a billion, all right? If you started, now who, who of you were alive in 1983? Raise your hands. All right, by far, so much of the crowd today. Thank you so much. Put your hands down. If you're alive in 1983, and on January the 1st, 1983, you started counting to a billion. And one, one second. One, two, three, four. And you counted, you know, 24 hours a day, 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours a day, 52 weeks a year, 12 months a year, since 1983, you account to one billion. Now, you got that soak in. 32 years counting one number per second. Now, listen to this. That's why I grabbed your iPad. I said, I wonder what this number would be. Because we've got to get our arms around this, our hands around this. If you decided to count the budget for advertising in America, $180 billion annually, not, not in the last 32 years, annually, get ready, you better be prepared to count for 5,700 years. The next five millennia plus 700 years if you wanted to count the budget of advertising in America. Is that not phenomenal? And all that is to make you want to buy things you probably don't need. There are 36, country, 36 companies in America that spend a billion dollars or more, a billion dollars or more to advertise here in America. Isn't that crazy? 36. You know, guess what number one is? You, well, you'd never guess. Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble. Clean supplies, food, those kind of things. Procter & Gamble. Yeah. They spend almost $2 billion a year in advertising in America. What's number two? General Motors. They're trying to catch up with Ford. Okay? General Motors. Okay, number three. All you Verizon folks. Yep, that would be Verizon. And following all the way down to the end are every major retailer you can imagine. Target, uh, Sears, everything you can imagine. Um, a, few, a few beer companies are thrown in there. And you know those golden arches at McDonald's? They're golden for a reason. They spend a billion dollars a year convincing you to buy a hamburger. And that's a lot of chicken nuggets. Amen? That's a lot of chicken nuggets. And number 36 is Apple. They finally, you know, we used to say, we Apple folks. Well, this is before I was an Apple person. I remember, I think you said this to me one time. You know, he was an Apple guy when I was just thinking about it. And I talked about advertising. I believe that's the way the story went. And he, I said something about advertising. You never see Apple advertising. He goes, dude, they don't need to. Well, guess what? They do now. A billion dollars worth a year of advertising. So, so all these companies spend all this money to convince us that we ought to buy things that we really don't need, to buy more of what we don't need. Now, I know, and <laughs> you kind of know what's always been known as the oldest profession. Well, perhaps it's not what you think, because perhaps it's advertising. Perhaps it's advertising. Now, I know over the last few, year, last few weeks, we have gone to certain scriptures over and over again. And I want you to go ahead and take your Bibles. This is on the screen. Let's say flip it up there real quick. It's Genesis chapter 3. Because you really see a really good picture of advertising. In Genesis chapter 3, this, of course, is the fall of man. And we see a certain uh, manufacturer of sin trying to convince Eve to get something she doesn't want or doesn't need. 
and yet he does a really good job. It goes something like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I, I can imagine, you know, again, kind of in today's language, he would go something like this. He goes, Eve, what a wonderful collection of trees you have. I mean, I've never seen such a wonderful collection of trees. Uh, too bad you can't eat of them. See the hook? The hook there? And Eve goes, again, modern language, Eve goes, oh, no, no, no. We can eat of the trees. It's just that God said there's one particular tree that we should not eat of. And if we do eat of that, then, or if we touch it, and she kind of added to the word of God, if we touch it, then we will surely die. And then this cunning, crafty advertiser goes, no. No, see, you've got all these trees, but you need one more tree. You need to eat that tree, and I've got good news for you. Isn't that like a car salesman? I've got good news for you, sir. No one else will finance you, but we will. You know, you go to back in the housing fall of 2008, you know, they made loans they couldn't keep, loans they couldn't keep, loans they couldn't afford, and the whole economy imploded. No, no, no. You need one more tree, and here's the good news, Eve. You really won't die. It was a lie. But so much of advertising, again, is built on false pretexts that you need, that you've got to have. And so they convince us to get these things that we don't need. So look what happens. It's, the servant said, you shall not surely die. Look at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There, this tree is like no other tree. This car is like no other car. This house is like no other house. That woman or that man is like no other man, no other woman. And the Bible says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a logical thing. Everyone has to eat. Everyone has to eat. So when he saw it was good for food, and, and that was a delight to the eyes, I Oh, boy, do I have those stories. Back when I was young and not as wise, and before I married, you know, before Judy got hold of my heart with cars, this officer, I was in a flying squad. I wasn't his non-officer. I was an enlisted guy. But this officer pulled, pulled up in his 1981 Subaru. It cost a whopping $8,000. And I was driving a Datsun Sentra that cost about $3,000. Our payment was like $84 a month, if I remember right. And I saw that car, and I remember going home, this young lady going, we need a Subaru. Judy, it looks like a BMW. Hey, if you can't buy a BMW, get something that looks like a BMW. And sure enough, in about two weeks, we were the proud owners of a $134 car payment that we were really struggling to afford and a new Subaru. But hey, it was a delight to look at. It looked like a BMW. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Think of the status. Think, think of the status symbol that I'll have if I had this new car. The Bible says that she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's how it happens. That's how it happened. I wrote down three things, if you'll write these down. One, you know, they, they, she, Satan managed to get her focus off God. You know, she, she, her focus on God. Eve was saying, okay, God said, God said, that was enough. God said, that was enough. God said, that was enough. 
And then Satan comes along and says, but God's not really after your best interest. I'm after your best interest. I know you will not be complete and satisfied until you have all the trees. 90.99.999% is not enough. You need this last tree. So he took her focus. She took her focus off of God and put it on the one thing that God said she did not need, nor should she have. The second thing is this. She, she had a shift in attitude. She went from being grateful for all the trees that God had given her in this perfect environment, and she felt ungrateful because God had said no in one area. Does that ring a bell? Isn't that like us? God gives us so much. God gives us so much. God gives us so much. And then there's one thing God says no on, and all of a sudden we shift from gratitude to ingratitude. Mm-hmm. And there's just finally this, this sense of entitlement. Oh, do we know about that? How many times have you seen on TV, you deserve this car. You deserve this loan. You deserve this hamburger. Hey, have it your way. And that's exactly what happened. There was a sense of entitlement with Eve. Somehow she deserved to be as wise as God, and she wanted that tree. She was entitled to that tree, and she ate. So with all of those reasons... You know, spiritually and physically, with all of those reasons, is why God gave us number 10. Because He knows our propensity. He, he, he knows our, our leaning toward wanting just a little bit more, that enough is not enough, and that we'll do whatever it takes to get what we think will be enough, which really is not enough. And so He gave us number 10. And number 10 says this. You shall not covet. You shall not strongly desire. You should not long after. And then he gives us a list of several things that we are not to covet. And I think we can bring those up to our, to our century where they all of a sudden starts making sense. He says, you should not covet. You should not have a strong desire for. You should not long after your neighbor's house. See, the neighbor's house not only in this culture, but in every culture that I've been in, and I've been in about 17 countries. But the, the culture is, is that the house is a, a symbol of your station in life and your status. Now think about that. The, a house, the house that you live in will say to other people, this is where I'm at and this is the status that I have. Why do we have homes... Like, for instance, in, in our case, in Judy and I's case, we have a... Now, the reason we had this house is because we were using it. But the bottom line is, I have a four-bedroom house with an apartment with two bedrooms. So I have six bedrooms that Dwayne Taylor owns. Now, that wasn't good enough, and we didn't need that many bedrooms. So now we have a living room and two offices, two bedrooms there and two bedrooms there. Why do we have more than we need? Why do we as, as Americans sense that we need more and bigger? And begin, it says to the people, your address says to people, I live here, so I have a certain station and a certain status. And people know that. And you may well live in a very nice home in a good neighborhood, but you see your friend at church or you see your friend at work and he's got a bigger house, a nicer house with more bedrooms and more garages, and all of a sudden you're not satisfied with the house. It's not the house. It's jealousy over his station and his status. Does that make sense? Sure, it does. 
It does. And then he says this, and you should not long after, you should not have a strong desire for your neighbor's wife. And I really said, what should I do with this? And I don't know about you, but you know, most men marry up. Come on, amen? Husbands, this would be a good time to say amen. You will make points. You could get fried chicken for lunch over this one. You marry up. And, and our spouses normally, come on, come on, ladies, it's the same thing. You know, if you've got this dude, you know, and he's been to the gym and he's, he's thin in the waist and his shoulders are this broad and he's got shiny teeth and blonde hair and you married him? <laughs> or you married her? She looks like a model. And there's something, again, status and station that says, oh, look who he married. Now, the problem is, and again, in our culture, it's so prevalent all of a sudden, the wife you married... Now, remember, who picked, the, who picked your wife? Uh, that would be you. Who picked your husband? Uh, yeah, I don't think we have shotgun weddings in Southern Illinois. It might be possible. But we choose this man, we chose this woman, and all of a sudden, we look at our neighbor, and she's younger, or she's thinner, or he's taller, and he's thinner, and all of a sudden, your mate's not enough. And you look for longing, you start longing for... What's in the other pasture? All of a sudden, what God's blessed you with is not enough. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I know God wants me to be happy. And I'm not happy married to Him. And I'm not happy married to her. And I know God wants me to be happy. I deserve better than this. And then there's the guy at the water cooler or the woman at the water cooler who will tell you, you deserve better than this. Mm -hmm. So God gives this command, don't long after, don't have a strong desire for your, your neighbor's wife. Then there's this male servant, female servant thing. And we don't really have that in America. Thank goodness we don't. You know, some culture, I mean, some, some place in America, you do have butlers and maids still, but still not in the context of this. These would have been bond servants. We don't have that. But it was, a, it was a symbol of wealth and power. The more servants you had, the more wealth and power that you had. And we can identify with that. We're, you know, we're, making, we're knocking down $80,000, $90,000 a year, and we feel pretty good about that. You know, we have people who work for us. But all of a sudden, we see our neighbor who's knocking down 150000 and he's the president, and you're only a vice president. And all of a sudden, it's just not enough. And God says, don't long for, don't strongly desire this, this power and this wealth. And he goes on and says this, or his ox or his donkey. And the ox and donkey was the way back in those days that people acquired wealth. It was a symbol of wealth, but they acquired it wealth. It's like if you're a farmer and you've got 10 brand new combines. It's a sense of your ability to farm ground. How's that apply to us? How often do we look at someone and again, we're pretty content and then you hear how someone stole some socks or someone did this and all of a sudden you're jealous of their ability or their talents and all of a sudden you become jealous of that. And God says, don't covet after that. And then it's like he said, just in case there's something left or anything that is your neighbor's. Anything that is your neighbor's. Do that. Do that. It'll fall apart. Do that. It'll fall apart. So God knew our propensity to want more and more and more. 
And as you're going to see in just a few minutes, our propensity to worship that more and more and more. And I'm now 61 years old, and I'm still learning. But you know what I found out? More is never enough. More is never enough. And no matter how much we buy and how much we amass and how much we think if we had this, we'd be happy. I'm trying to save you a lot of grief. Because, again, we'll go out and buy houses we can't afford and cars we can't afford. We'll destroy our marriage because we think she or he will make us happy. And, and we decide we're going to get invested in the stock market. And we get invested in the stock market and lose everything we've got. God knew these things. And he says, No. Don't covet after them. So, what is the answer? What is the answer to this? As believers, now, as believers in Jesus Christ, as people who have met the man on the cross, as sinners who've met the man on the cross, as people who have experienced God's amazing grace, what is the answer? Because I'm telling you, one thing I've learned about this book is God's guide to life. How can we best do life? God has an answer. And the answer is the sermon title. Take an aspirin and call on me in the morning. You know, the aspirin's an amazing drug. It's been around even since Egyptian times, and I won't even try to say the chemical name, but they would take a, a certain willow tree and they would break it down, they would boil it, and the residue of that was the basic chemical uh, chain, chain of aspirin. And all through the centuries, until finally in 1899, I think the dude's name was Hoffman, who worked for Bayer, a German chemical company, Bayer, defined a way, found a way to synthetically re- reproduce this chemical, and aspirin was invented. In 1930, Bayer lost their patent. And now it's one of the most widely used drugs there is. And I remember Charlene Wallace told me, Charlie, remember you told me, if aspirin was invented today, there's no telling what it would cost. But you can go get a bottle of 100 aspirins for what? One dollar. One dollar. You got a headache? Aspirin will fix it. Your body ache? Yep, aspirin will fix it. Do you have? Do you need to thin your blood? To avoid strokes and heart attacks? Aspirin. Do you remember the, 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 the aspirin commercial? He's on an airplane, and he asks the stewardess, do you have, an aspirin? Do you have something for, you know, for my pain? And, and she says, aspirin? He goes, no, 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 I'm not having a heart attack. My back hurts. Aspirin. Aspirin. They're found out in dementia? Aspirin. Colon cancer? Aspirin. It truly is a wonder drug. Here's the point. God has a wonder drug for coveting what other people have. And guess what it is? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The miracle drug is so simple. Again, Jesus said, on this hangs the entire law. If we will love God, keep our focus on God, and if we'll love people, all of a sudden this covenant problem fades in the rearview mirror. So I said to myself, Lord, where could I go in your word that might just paint a different picture of this wonderful scripture and this terrible problem? 
And we found it in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews chapter 13. Now listen, I know you are so tired of hearing about love your neighbor. And you're probably pretty weary of love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But I am telling you, if there's anything I'm going to preach to you in the last 15 years and how much longer God leaves me here, you will hear nothing more important. Hear me. You'll hear nothing more important than committing your life, your soul, your mind to God, loving Him totally and completely, and learning to love the person sitting next to you, whether it be your wife or your neighbor, as you love yourself. There's nothing bigger. And I didn't say that. God did. God said, when is the church going to grasp a hold of this great truth? I'm telling you. I told Judy, I leaned over and said, you need to pray for my spirit. We are watching the series some of you have watched, God's at War. And today's message on, the lesson on uh, sexual sickness was so hard. I mean, this, this woman grew up with the mistaken, just feeling in her heart that, that she was meant to be a boy, a man, and not a girl or a woman. And the shame and disgust that she felt. And how, and this is the good part, how wonderfully God redeemed her through His grace. And she learned that she wasn't trash. But it just grieved my heart. When I think of the world my children are growing up in, when I think of the world our grandchildren are growing up in, it grieves my heart. And the only answer is love God and love people. A a church, His body, whose soul sold out, that with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength, God, I love you. And God, that person out there, they're weird, they're different than me. And I'm going to love them anyway. And God, this person's got more piercings than anybody ought to have. But God, I'm going to love them. And God, this guy's got more ink than I'll ever imagine. But I'm going to love him. And God, this guy's a biker. But I'm going to love him. And God, this person's super religious. But I'm going to love him. It will change the world. It will change the world. And that's why we have got to be the lighthouse of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Loving God with all our hearts. And loving people like God does. And like we should. So in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1, there's this formula that's so powerful. And please don't just, Dwayne, we've heard this. Come on, can you move on? I can't yet. I can't. The author of Hebrews starts out with the simple words, let brotherly love continue. Four or five words. Let brotherly love continue. And the context implies that it's in danger of stopping. And I'm telling you what, if there's ever a time when the church has got to be a church of brotherly love, it is now. It is in this world that we live in. It is now. We cannot let go of this powerful truth. You know, Jesus said, again, familiar scripture. I give you a new command, he said in John 13, 34. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must love one another. And you know it. You've heard too many times not. But all by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. They'll know we're followers of Jesus. Not by the sign we hang out in front of our church that says Baptist. Not, not by how many times we go to church. 
not how full the parking lot is, not how full the sanctuary is. They will know we are Christ followers by our love. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. He said in, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, let love be genuine. Let love be real. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Listen, listen, listen. Outdo one another in showing honor. Wow. Wow. How different would the church be? How different would the world be if that was practiced and lived out? How about Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love and walk in love and walk in love as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? He says... He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How do you, how do you not covet what your neighbor's got? You love them. See, a man who truly loves another brother in Christ will learn not to love or be jealous of his house, his wife, his servants, his donkeys, or anything else. We can learn to be content. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So, in verse number 2 and 3 says, so, so listen, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. People you don't even know, love them. Love them. You keep saying, why do we go and do what we do? Why did two members of our church just come back from a journey of thousands and thousands of miles? You know, why are we going to Nicaragua with rice and beans? Why are we going back to Africa? Because God loves strangers, and we do too. And strangers need Jesus. Love those that you don't even know. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. The people, do you know people in bondage? Yes I, yes, I know the jail. I know the jail. I know the jail. I, I know Menard. I know the federal prison in Mary. I know that. I got that. But the truth is, all of us know people who are in prison. They're in bondage to drugs. They're in bondage to alcohol. They're in bondage to debt. They're in bondage today. And the one that can set them free is who? It's who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Remember the time that you were in prison and Jesus set you free. And desire for every person that you know to be free like you are free. You shall know the truth we heard last week and the truth will set you free. And then he goes on and says this. He, he says in, in the next verse, um, he says, uh, and those who are mistreated. Anybody know about mistreated? You ever been mistreated? You know the pain of mistreatment? You know somebody who's being mistreated right now? Doesn't it break your heart with what our kids are going through? Little kids sexually abused in a crazy, mixed-up world. Remember those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. In other words, just like, just like when my leg hurts, my whole body identifies with that. My arm doesn't go, Too bad you hurt because you're the leg and I'm the arm. No. When my leg hurts, my body identifies. And we need to identify with the hurting in the world because we know the great physician. And his name is Jesus Christ. Oh, listen. So simple. So maybe repetitive. 
but so true. There is a world out there who's dying to know Jesus Christ. What are we doing to share him? What are we doing to share him? I was talking to one brother about the Pope. Wouldn't it be great if the true church, the church of Jesus Christ, the, the gospel church, and I'm not saying Catholic, I'll, leave, I'll let you that. I'm not, that's what I'm implying. But wouldn't it be awesome if gospel news filled the airways like the Pope has? Wouldn't it be powerful? If revival broke out in Harrisburg and God just, we saw God reach down from heaven and save and heal and touch. Wow. Wow. So, love one another. Now, and because, and because it's the basis of society, the author of Hebrews says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Oh, the church has got to hold up marriage. The church has got to hold up marriage. It is a commitment and it is a covenant. And Satan, listen, Satan, Satan will do everything he can to destroy marriage. You know why? Because when you destroy marriage, you undermine society. Understand that day. Listen, when, when she looks so attractive, when he looks so attractive, when she looks like so much fun, when he looks like so much fun, you just remember the commitment you made. Excuse me, but remember you chose that relationship. And the God that you love and serve says honor marriage. Honor marriage. And that, that marriage bed should remain undefiled. In other words, it should be pure. It should be pure. There's no greater dishonor to a marriage relationship than infidelity. And you know what's crazy? Charlie, I think you said this. Charlie Holland was teaching this morning. And this, this is a big topic in the world. And we just can't pretend like infidelity and sexual craziness doesn't exist in our culture because it does. I know we feel very bored. I, they, they were making fun of me today in class because they were talking about, about this woman and sex, and, and I'm just blushing. It's hard for me to talk about it in 30 people or 39 people. It's really hard in front of 300. But I'm telling you, the world's talking about it. And you need to tell, teach your kids what the Bible says. You need to teach your kids what the Bible says. And you need to live out what the Bible says. It's one of those things. Listen, if, if, you, if you understand the commitment you made, your neighbor's wife won't look near as attractive. If you understand the commitment you made, your neighbor's husband won't look so attractive. <laughs> if you understand the high cost of infidelity and divorce you'll be a lot more likely to stay in a marriage. Let's remember that. And then this this incredible nugget in verse number 5. This is the heart of the aspirin. This is the heart of the wonder drug. It says this. Keep your life, excuse me, I'm sorry. Keep your life free from the love of money. Keep. The word means guard. You know, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart because out of it all are the issues of life. Guard your heart. Guard your life 
from the love of money. Now, keep, keep in mind, money's a tool. Money's not good. Money's not evil. It's neutral. But the love of money is evil. And the love of money is what the Bible says is a sin. And when you love money, when you love money, you're worshiping the wrong thing. Everybody worships something. My question today is, in simplicity, what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? There's really three steps in this verse, if you want to make track of that. One is, if you don't want to covet, if you don't want to be jealous, if you want, I want, I want, I want. One, keep track of what you worship. Don't worship things. Don't worship cars. Don't worship houses. Don't worship things. What are you going to worship? God. God. All the trees in the garden, and she lost her focus and wanted that one. What is it in your life that you're in danger of loving more than God? What is it in your life that you're in greater danger than loving than God? Is it a position? Is it a title? Is it a station in life? Is it a certain income level? Is the ability to do this? Be careful. Be careful. What are you in danger of loving more than God? No man can worship two masters. He'll love one or hate the other. You've got to choose what you're going to worship. Then he says these simple words. Be content with what you have. How powerful is that? Be content with what you have. The Bible says contentment is great godliness. It's great godliness. Be content with what you have. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Why do you need... Do you all hear me talking about, I'd like to have a new car? I don't really need a new car. It sounds good. It's fun to talk about, but I don't. So let me ask you a question. So you're driving a perfectly good vehicle... Why do you feel this need to go out and buy a different vehicle? Now, if, you, if, if it doesn't put you in financial strain, I guess that's your business if you're being obedient to God. But why do we feel like we've got to buy bigger and better just to get bigger and better? I do this on a small scale with phones, phones and TVs. Phones and TVs. Why do we feel this need? You want to know why? Remember that $180 billion? That's why. Culture puts in us this need for something new and something better. And so often it puts us in a horrible, horrible financial strain. Be content with what you have. Be content with the wife. Be content with the husband. Be content with what you have. Be careful what you worship. Be content with what you've got. And listen to this. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let Jesus be enough. Can I get an amen on that one? Let Jesus be enough. Now, would you make, can I come down? I don't want you to think I'm being hypocritical. Oh, if we could just learn Jesus, you're enough. We say it, we sing it, the brother leads us in a song that says, in Christ alone. 
but our lives are screaming to a world, Christ is not enough, I need more. And he has promised never to leave us, to never forsake us. Let Jesus be enough. Teach your children. And and may I pause and be crystal clear, church is not enough. Religion is not enough. I'm glad you bring your kid to church, but he needs to understand church isn't the answer. Jesus Christ, and I mean this, Jesus Christ is. Whatever, whatever we're teaching our people here, whether it be here or in the classrooms, it's got to be Jesus-centric. That barn up there is not a clothing ministry. If it's not Jesus-centric, shut it down. Judgment health is not Jesus-centric. Shut it down. Back to school is not Jesus-centric. Shut it down. We are about Christ, not social ministry. We've got to, folks. We've got to. I, I was sitting, don't even remember where. It's going to be a problem these days. And I listened as, as one of our teachers shared how important it was that they taught on Wednesday night. You don't hear a lot about Wednesday nights. But 60, 70, 80 kids on Wednesday nights. We have about 40, maybe 50 in Bible study. But there's a group, there's a, there's a team of teachers that meet on Wednesday nights and they teach these kids and a, ha- a large chunk of them are not your normal church kids. And you know what this teacher said? That may be the only stable Jesus setting they get. He understands, and it was a he, he understands that the most important thing in his week is probably 6 to 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night and the most challenging, by the way. But he understands that those kids need Jesus. The hope for breaking their life cycle is Jesus. It's Jesus. Let Jesus be enough. Be careful what you worship. Be careful what you worship. Be content with what you got. Let Jesus be enough. And then he closes with, so, verse verse 6. So, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. You know, the thing that we desire so often is peace. Is peace. The author of Psalm 121 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. When I look at these hills, and again, the hills represent danger. Robbers would hide in the roads. There was the unknown. There was fear. When I lift my eyes into the hills, where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and I don't know about this world. But I know my God's in control. I don't know what kind of world Hope and Ethan and Faith and Taylor and Will and Ellie and James are going to grow up in and Grayson when he finally makes it into this world, Lord willing. But I know this. 
I'm praying for my kids to make sure that they're raised in a home where they understand God and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that my grandchildren will be solid enough to withstand the gale force winds of sin in this world today. Amen? It's more important than anything else, folks. It's more important. And all that comes. If you're, if you're, you're saying, well, where, Dwayne, where's this tie in? If you're, if you're saying, I'm jealous because I don't have this house, and, you're, and all your energy and all your funds going house, 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 or your emotional needs not being met, I want her, I want her, and you're destroying your family, or, or, or maybe it's the, the, the ox and the sheep, and I want those means for more, or I want more wealth and I want more power. You can devote what you need to the things that matter. So God said, don't covet. Don't be jealous. Be content with what you've got. Worship me and let me, Jesus, be enough. These are critical times. These are crucial times. In our lives. Let's take number 10 to heart and say, God, I will worship you. God, I will be content with such as you bless me with. And God, you will be enough. Would you bow your heads right there, please? What a wonder! Spiritual drug. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. God never gave the Ten Commandments to get us into a relationship with Him. He gave them because we're already in and in those ten, those ancient truths, I hope you've seen over the last 13, 14 weeks how they come right up into our lives today. This morning, if you're here, this is our decision time. If you're here today and you understand that, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dwayne, you said some things about grace and church isn't the answer and religion's not the answer. I want to know more about that. Well, the answer is Christ. The answer is Jesus. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And we would love to share with you what God did on your behalf that you could come to relationship with Him. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And perhaps you're here today as a believer in Jesus Christ. And maybe not just number 10. But maybe you want to take the whole series and say, God, a chunk of this I don't remember. And by the way, they're on the Internet. All the messages are on the Internet. But God... I know today I want to be sold out to you. I want to worship you. God, teach me to be content. And Jesus, it's you alone. You are enough. The altar is open. If you want to come and pray, that's cool. If you want to pray there, that's cool. In fact, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little bit different. We haven't done it in a while. I'm going to ask you to stay seated. I'm going to ask the team to sing. I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And uh, just 
let, use this time to let God speak to your heart today. So God, thank you very much for the privilege that we've had today of sharing your word. God, please help us to worship you. God, please help us to be content. God, please, Jesus, you're enough. May we live and act that way. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.